0: Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself Our guest down. tonight got bachelor's, master's, and a doctorate degree from the University of Michigan by the age of 23. From 1991 to 1997, he was president and CEO of Gateway Inc. And from 97 to 2000, he was president and CEO of Avalon Investments. From 2011 to 2018, he was Michigan's 48th governor. And since 2022, he's been the CEO, co-founder of Sensi, a cybersecurity company. The coolest guest we've ever had on the show, his name, Governor Rick Snyder. And I'm Jack Crisula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula. this is Anything Is Possible, and we're talking to Governor Rick Snyder. I've always admired you. I continue to admire you. Welcome back. Well, thanks, Jack. It's great to be with you again. I mean, this is wonderful. All right. At age 10... You began reading Business Week and Fortune regularly. You, you've always walked to the tune of a different drummer. No bravado, but you've always had a quiet self-confidence about you. How, where and how did you get that, Rick?
1: Well, I appreciate that, uh, and that's a very nice thing to say. But uh, put it in perspective, you go back and talk about being a 10-year-old, um, my parents started this, with the people that surrounded me, because quite often I, I like to say you're a product of your mentorship. And I was fortunate enough to have wonderful mentorship in my life, and it started with my folks. And they taught me to be inquisitive. And I, as you know, I like to say I'm a proud nerd. And I don't back off of that, because what's a nerd to me? It's a person who loves to learn about everything. Um, I'm one of those people that have an interest in, I would sit here and talk with you guys about how to do radio production or how to do a radio show um, because it would be interesting. It's exciting for me to learn about. I like to try to learn something new every day, and that's a lesson I used to sit with my kids. I used to drive them crazy at the dinner table with uh, Sue, and I would say, tell me one thing you learned today. Just ask them for one thing. And sometimes they try to put it off, but we'd go through it. And eventually, learning one new thing every day makes your life better.
0: And you've learned something. You and Sue have learned something recently. There's a joy on your face when you talk about your first granddaughter. Hayden. Hayden is wonderful. She's two and a half now.
1: Uh, being a grandparent is the best thing ever. Um, well, second best. you got to have the kids first. Um, but after that, uh, Hayden's just wonderful in the, the sense that she just wants love. She just wants to have fun with you, just in pure enjoyment. And it's that old line. I found it was true about being a grandparent. Uh, you can get them wound up. You can have a lot of fun. And you give them back when the tough stuff comes, typically.
0: All right. From 82 to 91, nine years, you were with Cooper's Library and Consulting. You partner in tax attorney. Talk about that chapter of your life.
1: Yeah, that was a wonderful chapter where, again, I would emphasize the mentorship piece. Um, people often talk about going into public accounting uh, and say, you know, that doesn't sound very exciting. Why would you want to, you know, be an accountant like that? Well, a couple of things that really came to me, it, it taught me a lot about uh, working with people, managing people, interacting with people in two ways. One, you went to all these different clients. So you'd get sent out to go to all these different environments. So you'd get to see their culture of these different organizations. And that was really informative and a learning experience. The other thing is, in public accounting, you'd be assigned to, again, these different clients, but they would have different people managing these clients. So you'd work with different partners and managers. So you got to see their style in managing people. So I say, as much as I learned about accounting and tax work, I learned about management styles,
0: cultural styles, working with people. All right, in 1991, you joined Gateway Inc. How big was it, and what did they do?
1: <laughs> that was an awesome experience. Uh, if you look at I was about 30 years old. I went to work for a guy a few years younger. Uh, he was 26, 27 years old, Ted Waite, just a brilliant person, um, and went to work out on the prairie, North Sioux City, South Dakota. Uh, we had 600 and some people when I joined the company. And the reason I remember I was 600 and some is I was the last guy to get my badge out of about 60 people getting hired that day. Uh, We were starting to take off. But in 1991, we had 600 and some people, about 600 million in sales. Uh, Six years later, we had 13,000 people and 6 billion in sales. Uh, we, went on, we went public, we went on the New York Stock Exchange, we went international. Talk about a growth experience. Literally, we'd have days where we could have 100, 200 people start on a Monday morning.
0: You're being humble because from 96 to 97, you were the president and CEO of the company. Um, <clears throat> what did it do? Uh, we made personal computers. We made great personal computers
1: great at a great value. Uh, many people remember the cow-spotted boxes we had, um, but th- it was unique. I, one fun story I would tell you about Ted is uh, all our ads, and we did a lot of print ads. There were computer publications all over back then. Uh, he never hired anyone to be in an ad. They were all gateway employees doing ads, and they would call you up and say, do you want to be in the ad or not? Uh, And you say, well, what am I going to be? And you don't get to know. You either get to be in, you want to be in the ad, you just say yes, and we'll have you do something. If you say no, that's fine, too. So you never knew what they're going to dress you up as. I remember I got dressed up a couple times. One time I ended up with a powdered wig on, uh, being one of the original signers of the Declaration of Independence. Another time I was uh, at a horse track, uh, blowing the horn at a racetrack. So it was a lot of fun. It was a unique experience, but we made wonderful products for people that really transformed their lives
0: with these personal computers. It was... God was training you to be a governor someday, right? (laughs) So, we're talking to Rick Snyder. And I'm Jack Grisula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760-WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Grisula, and we're with Rick Snyder... Michigan's 48th governor. Rick, you've always planned things out. When did you start planning and strategizing things?
1: Uh, It started when I was a teenager, Uh, probably about 14, 15 years old. I built a career plan uh, to have three careers. Um, And I know that sounds really strange, but again, that's the nerd part. So I built a plan. to first career was to be in the private sector uh, so I could learn about the world most people are in. They're in the private sector. And the secondly, hopefully to do well enough financially where I could afford to just go back and do public service. Uh, And that was to be 40 to 60. At some point, I wanted to switch and just do public service, not necessarily running for governor. Uh, but 40 to 60 or so, do public service where I could just give back and help people on a broad scale. And then the third careers is uh, to do small-scale helping people, to be a mentor, to be a role model for others, uh, and to do, have more time for family. Did you have Sue all planned out ahead of time, too? No. No one could plan Sue out ahead of time. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, that she chose me uh, because that was wonderful. Uh, we actually met at Cooper's, um, and I was a workaholic. Uh, And she really helped me uh, understand that there's more to life in terms of balance.
0: You outkicked your punt coverage on that one. Okay, in 1997, you leave Gateway, you come back to Michigan. Why? Uh, This
1: is our home. Uh, Ted was essentially moving the company headquarters to California. uh, And so Sue and I wanted to come back home. So we moved back to Michigan. Uh, we ended up in Ann Arbor because I was interested in doing venture capital, helping Michigan's economy, starting companies, doing things like that. And that was the center of that world at that point in time. So we came back and uh, started Avalon Investments, which was doing the hardest kind of startup work, finding professors, finding ideas, and starting companies from scratch. It was a, That
0: was a lot of fun. You, Chris Rizek, a few others. Yeah. So Avalon Investments, you were the president and CEO from 97. 2000 what's a venture capital firm and what does it do yeah we actually uh, in our case
1: uh, we not only invested in companies investing capital in a company we help create the companies uh, again, we would find people, we would help them do their business plan. We'd help them develop those ideas and go to market. And not all the companies made it, but we had some pretty big successes as part of that too. Uh, it's exciting to build something from scratch. I like to say if you're, it's being entrepreneurial. If you're an entrepreneurial, it's, you're a little bit crazy. Uh, and the reason I say you got to be a little bit crazy to do that is you have to see something other people didn't see and believe in it. But being a little bit crazy is how innovation happens. And look at how wonderful uh, we built Michigan on innovation. Michigan was the innovation capital of the world. If you go back in history and look at the early 1900s through a lot of years there, the auto industry, the cereal industry. I'm from Battle Creek. How many different industries did we start in the state?
0: To an entrepreneur, success is the journey, not the destination. The journey is a huge part of it. Uh, And again, I like to be
1: a serial entrepreneur, so I'm doing it again. I've got Sensei now, and I like to say, this is my fifth career. I'm 60-something. Why can't you do a startup? I'm a crummy golfer. I would rather go start a company.
0: You're a serial entrepreneur because you are from Battle Creek, and that's where the serial comes from. So, Okay, so many of our young people today have no confidence that they're, feared, that they're afraid to do anything. They're afraid to ask somebody for something. Um, fear is false expectations appearing real. Eighty percent of what we worry about never happens. If you could talk to young people about having courage and taking a chance, what would you tell them?
1: Uh, manage risk. Don't, don't avoid it. Um, one of the things I've always looked at is when you look at these situations, people quite often do unrealistically avoid risk um, because they haven't really analyzed it Um, I'll give you a great illustration going to Gateway a lot of people thought I was crazy I was a partner in one of the biggest accounting firms in the world I had an awesome career going and they go why would you walk away from that you've thrown away your career Um, but I I viewed it differently because what would happen if Gateway hadn't worked for me Um, I might have had to swallow my pride um, but some, my firm would have taken me back or some firm would have taken me on, but I would have had to swallow my pride. Well, my pride is something I can swallow. Um, so you have to look at this about taking risk appropriately. I like to say living life by plan A only is way too stressful. Whenever you look at doing something new or an adventure or doing most anything, what's plan B? You can sort of look out there and say, what's the most likely things to go wrong? And if they go wrong, what's plan B? What's the next thing to happen? I've joked. I've been down to... If it gets to plan E, H, and G, it's pretty stressful. <laughs> Getting Going from A to B or B to C isn't so bad. But when you get in the
0: higher letters, it does get stressful. All right. At Gateway, you were a dad. Yep. And then at Avalon, you were an uncle. How did you make the transition? Um, it, it's all about
1: understand what people need. I often say, I'll give you the analogy I talk about, about what's good communication? Good communications isn't being the most articulate, saying the smartest thing, using the biggest words. It's talking to someone in a way that you know they're going to understand it. It's relating to them and looking at it through their eyes and communicating in a way where if I say something to you, Jack, I want to say it in a way that's meaningful to you, not what I think is good or important. How do I relate to you? And that's the same thing with making those transitions is understanding your role. You have to be true to yourself and your values, but you can communicate and interact with in a a way with people that they're going to understand and appreciate and want to do things with you. All
0: right, let's go to 2009. Some of your friends thought you're crazy when you decide, (laughs) I'm going to run for governor.
1: Why? Yeah, it started with uh, date night. Um, I was on date night with Sue uh, in early 2009 at our favorite restaurant Friday night, had a good glass of red wine, each one of us did, and we started talking and our conversation went to something that was depressing. And the depressing part of the conversation was is our kids would likely have to leave Michigan to have a future. Um, We have three kids then, we have four kids now. And we were talking about their lives. that There wasn't going to be a future for them. And as we went through that, uh, Sue looked at me and she said, we should talk about you running for governor. And when I looked at the governor's race, there were a lot of great people running uh, from the Republican side. I mean, th- there were four other candidates. There were going to be five of us. Uh, and they were talented people, but they were all career politicians. And they talked about fixing Michigan. Uh, we were 50 out of 50, Jack. Fixing Michigan wasn't good enough. We had to reinvent our state. And so that's what drove me to run with Sue's support is to say, let's go out and reinvent Michigan. And can we create an environment, not just for our kids, but where our kids could be excited and
0: have a future in Michigan. When we come back, we're gonna ask them, how did you ever win? (laughs) And I guarantee that when we come back, there'll be more Relentless positive action. And I'm Jack Rasula with Rick Snyder, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula, and we're with former Governor Rick Snyder who since 2022 has been the CEO co-founder of Sensi, a cybersecurity company that we'll talk about in a later segment. All right. You're one of five candidates on the Republican side, bunch on the Democratic side. You've got no experience. By your own admission, you're a proud nerd. (laughs) How did you ever win?
1: Well, the classic part, Jack, is people used to come up to me and when I first got going and say, do you know you're so low on the polls that if you apply the margin of error, you'd be a negative number? <laughs> um, I always thanked them for that kind comment. And my initial supporters, I call them, I still call them the margin of error club. <laughs> um, but this actually proves that our system can work right. Because we did need to reinvent Michigan. And so the way I viewed it is is I had a positive message, a vision for our state, uh, was able to convince people to join, and we just went at it after it. And more and more people joined the effort. So it wasn't just about me. It was about people collectively coming together from all ends of the political spectrum, from all different parts of Michigan to say, we need to do better. And we did. We went from 50 out of 50 to a top 10 state in eight
0: years. I'm proud of that. We're talking to Governor Rick Snyder, and I quote him, I'm a proud nerd. How I define nerd is that I love to learn about everything. And so I view it as having great intellectual curiosity to learn about any topic you can think of. That has always been exciting to me since I was a kid. You used to talk about that we have to do things in dog years. Yes, dog years.
1: Because when you're 50 out of 50, you got to get going. So, my expression was, is we had to do uh, things seven to one was our ratio. We had to get that first year, we had to essentially get uh, seven years worth of work done. And we approached it that way. We literally created a dog year, a dog award in our office, a traveling trophy that was a dog bowl uh, that we'd pass around to people that had done extraordinary things in terms of doing uh, things in a fabulous fashion, but fast. Um, Another important thing I would tell you about government, and this is a message I brought to government, I think, is about innovation because we talked about that earlier. Because if you think about it, government's much more risk adverse than even the private sector typically. And I told our team, if everything we worked on worked, it meant we weren't doing our job. Um, so it's ne- you never go out of your way to fail at anything. But we did a lot of pilots, a lot of attempts to bring innovation to government, and we did. Uh, by bringing that attitude to understand, if it doesn't work, we'll learn from it. That's part of relentless positive action, and you just keep moving forward.
0: All right, in politics, if something goes good, I did it. If something goes bad, you did it. You took the approach, solve a problem with no credit or blame, and then move on to the next one. That was unheard of. How did you convince the lifers and the other politicians to go along with what you wanted to change? Yeah, well, first of all, I've lived my whole life with this
1: attitude. I just never had a name for it. Um, and I finally had to name it, and I came up with Relentless Positive Action. And you said it. No blame, no credit. What's the problem? What's the solution? Be relentless in the pursuit of that solution. Um, because that's the right way to do things. And you're right about um, the attitude that many political people have about if it's good, accept credit. If it's bad, blame somebody else. That's, that's not right. Um, one of the things I was proud of in government that we did is we believed in measuring everything. Um, And I freaked people out in my first state of the state address when I actually gave a set of measures that I said, I want to be judged on these as how well I do as governor. And when I was done with the speech, a lot of political people and press people actually came up and said, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? And they said, you know, people can keep track of what you're doing. And I said, yeah, I want them to. And I said, I don't view measurements as a way to measure failure. How do you know you're succeeding if you don't measure it? And so I think it's critically important that if you're going to go out and do something, make sure you have some metric to show how you're showing progress uh, so you can keep on that positive
0: path. Let's talk about a few of your achievements as governor. You eliminated Michigan's $1.5 billion structural deficit and produced four balanced budgets without any accounting gimmicks. How? It's called doing
1: some tough actions, but doing smart actions. Um, Again, when people talk about budgeting, first of all, people go to sleep. (laughs) Because they think it's a boring topic. Fortunately, I was an accountant, and that was a big advantage, because I understood the numbers. Um, But a lot of this is is if you have a big deficit, a lot of people would do across-the-board cuts. I view that as a cop-out. That's the easy way out. Because you're going to cut both good and bad things. You had to judge where you could make cuts, where you even need to invest in a tough year like that. And we made those decisions with the idea by making the right investments, bringing the economy back, we're going to have more resources in the future to reinvest. And we did. After that first year, we got on a positive path and we did the best budget practices in the United States.
0: We did our budgets three months early, structurally balanced for eight years in a row. Okay. Okay. Under the radar, you worked on pension reform.
1: Yeah, pension reform, again, that would normally put people to sleep. But you're talking about people's future in the pensions. Michigan had billions and billions of liabilities. We brought that down by 20 or $30 billion in my time in office. We added over a $1 billion a year. We made reforms. So literally, one of the things I'm proudest of is, in, we, I used to tell people, by 2038, we would pay off the long-term liabilities of the state of Michigan. That's a huge thing that would literally free up billions of dollars and give strong confidence to all those retirees. They were going to get their benefits. Not only that, is usually political people will do short-term things that look good at the expense of future generations. During my time in Michigan, I'm proud to say not only did we make a stronger Michigan for the Michiganders of today, but we made a stronger Michigan for the Michiganders of the future.
0: Right to work.
1: Right to work was the right thing to do. Um, people's workers should have choice as to whether they want to belong or not. And I'm not anti-union. I view it as the union puts a good proposition in front of you. People should sign up for it. If they don't, why should you? Um, the other big thing, though, it wasn't just about that. It's the perception of Michigan in terms of a place to do business. So right to work is its own issue in its own right. But if you look at the big topic, Right to Work really opened the doors to tell the world Michigan was open for business. And it brought thousands and thousands of jobs to Michigan. When we got rid of Right to Work recently, we were sort of putting the close for business sign back up in the state of Michigan. And I can tell you, we've lost projects since then. People are just, they're not even looking at Michigan. They're just screening us out early on to say, hey, they're not Right to Work, forget them.
0: Well, a number of these electrification plants that we've lost to Tennessee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, you were very involved in Detroit's restructuring. Absolutely, Uh, and that was one of the toughest
1: things I had to address. Uh, Detroit financially was not going to make it, Um, and that had been coming for decades. People saw that. People understood it, but people didn't act. I mean, fundamentally, if you looked at it, Over 60% of Detroit's budget was going to end up just funding liabilities, not even providing services. So what ultimately drove us to make that call, and I made the decision to put Detroit in bankruptcy, is the citizens of Detroit deserve to have better fundamental services. Police, fire, ambulance, garbage, all these things. They weren't happening well at all. Everybody knows that. We needed to turn around because Detroiters
0: deserve better. Okay, on the flip side of the coin the Flint water crisis.
1: Yeah, people made mistakes in Flint at all levels of government. Um, I thought it was important to take responsibility because I view it if somebody works for me made a mistake, I should take responsibility and we turned around a lot of things in terms of Flint and the water situation in our state and help have a dialogue at the national level. Um, We had to step up. We sent in the National Guard, I sent in the National Guard, we did all these actions. Um, the response was very strong and much stronger than any other community that had a water problem.
0: Now, Attorney General Nutzel has spent $50 million of our tax dollars going after you. What's the current status? Yeah, that's basically political
1: persecution, if you step back and look at it. And the way to illustrate that is the Michigan Supreme Court gave a unanimous decision saying what, how they'd done it was wrong last year. They're still appealing that decision. They plan on appealing it back to the Supreme Court. I don't know what their legal brief's going to say. Were you guys just kidding instead of moving on? Why else would you waste millions and millions of dollars that could be going to help water conditions, uh, people in need, instead of spending on a a lawsuit that has no goal
0: or purpose? We're talking to Rick Snyder, who's never kidding when he says relentless positive action. And I'm Jack Rosula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760-WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's TrustInUsLLC.square.site, And as Jack says, make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Small. Anything is possible. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Governor Rick Snyder. If you want to learn more, www.senscy.com. When you agreed to come on the show, one of the first things I did was pull up Rudyard Kipling's very famous poem, If. Mm -hmm. Sir, you've lived this. Yeah, in many
1: respects, it talks about the highs and lows of what life can bring. And I'll use the governor thing as an illustration. I had some of the highest highs and lowest lows. Um, But the way I look at it is it wasn't about me. It was an opportunity to serve. So I've never viewed this as what was in it for Rick Snyder. I've always viewed it as this was a chance to give back uh, to 10 million people uh, and future generations that I care about. And so I really viewed it as I was going to do what needed to be done to make Michigan a better state. Uh, And it's not a straight line. It's not a perfect path. And so you go down that path. So I say it was an honor to serve, proud to serve. Um, And I took a lot of heat. I got a lot of accolades. But that's not what mattered. It's relentless positive action again, Jack. No blame, no credit. Uh, We solved a lot of the problem. There's more problems to solve. But let's
0: be relentless in continuing that path. And you also found out who true friends were as well. And you get close. According to Chris Reisick, Jack... The man got much closer to his family because of that so yeah well it's wonderful in that regard i
1: mean you you do find out who loves you and supports you i knew my family would be there but chris is a great illustration so many great people out there that you know root for you what did you learn about the michigan people uh well i knew it already Uh, michiganders are wonderful people Uh, but we need to work harder on working together I mean, my greatest concern still in this world is the lack of civility in our country. Um, The last few years I was governor, I made a talk about that. I added that to every talk I gave, Jack, um, because I say we're the greatest country in the world, but you can't maintain that status if you can't get along with yourself. And it's bad what's going on out there now in terms of people, you know, sort of trying to cancel people you know, the things they say to people, treat people. I always come back to the standard, you know, you should treat people how you'd like to be treated. Um, we need to get back to that because fundamentally, if we're to be continue on this path to greatness and to do even better things,
0: uh, we need to bring civility back. What's the biggest thing you learned about our democratic process in those eight years of leading Michigan as governor?
1: Uh, first of all, it works. I mean, if you look at my first election, it proves it can work. Um, But what I would say is the challenge is you have to be attentive, and we need more participation. Because if you don't, then you get people that don't have the best interest of everyone in mind. And I can say this with respect to both parties. I've seen too many candidates out there that are running for election to represent the people that elect them, not all the people. And I always viewed it, and I will use Detroit as an illustration, when I put Detroit in bankruptcy and all that, I hadn't gotten a lot of votes out of Detroit. And how many governors do you know spent a lot of time on Detroit issues? I worked here two days a week for several years during that period um, because I viewed it as I needed to represent them just as much as I represented someone uh, in my home district or any other corner of Michigan. They deserved the same attention
0: uh, and the same outcomes in terms of having a better life. All right. So many politicians, when they decide to get out or lose, they become lobbyists and they get rich. You haven't. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah, why would I want to do that? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. It's not about money. It was about helping people. And that's where I'm excited to help people on a smaller scale today. Sensei is a company, but it's to help people with their cybersecurity needs. And we're doing an unserved market, small and medium-sized un- organizations. They need help a lot more than the big places. So I view that as a way to give back. And then just a lot of other charitable and civic roles I'm trying to do to to give back to help people.
0: Um, If you want to learn more www.sensy.com Rick, what is cybersecurity?
1: Cybersecurity is something that's critically important because there are a lot of bad guys out there now that will come and attack your life. They'll take over your digital life. Uh, they may sh- cause your business to go out of business. They can affect your finances. They can affect your reputation. Uh, and you need to protect yourself. I'm a, As I, we've talked about, I'm a proud nerd. So I believe in all these great technologies that we've used, all the great things that are coming. But if you're going to do that, you have to understand there's a downside, a negative side to that wonderful world. And it's the risk of cyber threats. And so I think you have to be equally responsible about
0: dealing with the negative as much as enjoying the positive. Speaking about technology in the future, artificial intelligence, a lot of talk about it now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of hype. Uh, but it, substantively, it is going to transform our
1: lives. It's going to take some time. Uh, it's, the positive transformation, I believe, is very large. But there are some huge negatives that we also have to be aware of. And we need to be proactive, more proactive on the public policy side. For example, I don't think our government's up to date on what we should be doing. Places like Europe are more forward thinking than we are on new technologies.
0: All right. You say, since focuses on small and medium sized companies, if there's an entrepreneur today that says, I just, Rick, I can't afford it. Yeah, we
1: do it for a simple monthly fee. Uh, A lot less than what you'd pay to get the tools separately if you unbundled what we did. uh, We're a great value. So we do it for a simple monthly fee, and we're a wraparound service that helps explain it to them. First, we have a human talking to them rather than a bot. (laughs) Uh, We don't use acronyms, and we talk in plain language, so we don't act like we're from Mars. For the average person, cybersecurity is a scary thing. Uh, And the most common response I see from people is they just try to ignore it pretend it's going to go away. It won't. So by using this human touch, this interaction, this interface, and focusing on what real people can do to make their lives better, we can really make a difference in keeping them safer and better off.
0: The average Joe looking at emails, and there's a strange email. What do you suggest? Should they open it, not open it? What should they
1: do? If it's looking strange, do not open it. Uh, if you think you really have something you want out of that, uh, contact whoever you think it's from a different way and confirm it's really from them. Uh, but if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true, and there's probably somebody trying to set you up
0: and take advantage of you. So heard, don't click. We heard that from mom and dad, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. There's a, a word, fishing. Yeah Mm p-h-i-s-h-i-n-g not fishing but fishing yeah what is it
1: that's exactly what you were just talking about that famous email you get to say hey here's a free cooler for you or here's a free offer for you um and they're good about how they'll try to fool you um interesting illustration is is actually they'll say you can get this for free but you have to pay the shipping charge uh they're getting your credit card number uh when you put it in for the shipping charge if they do that, they've got your credit card. So again, if it's too good to be true, any of these email and phishing's for email. now they have vishing and all these other things for texts. Uh, it's happening in text now, it's happening on phone calls. So just because it doesn't even come in an email, don't believe it if it's too good to be true.
0: Or right, you mentioned the vitriol, the divide, the hatred. How can we change it? Be
1: positive. That's RPA again. Reliance positive action. I mean, the way I viewed it is, why waste negative energy? What's the value of fighting with someone? I told people in Michigan, when I'd, it still drives me nuts when politicians get up and say, I'm going to fight for you. Okay, I, my response to that is fighting belonged on the beaches of Normandy, not the beaches of Lake Michigan. Get over it. It's like, let's talk about what we can do together,
0: not why we don't like each other. <laughs> You've met a lot of phenomenal people. Who are your heroes?
1: Well, that's a great question. I mean, there are a lot of people I admire, but I would go back to my mentor list a little bit. Um, again, I talked about my folks, but an illustration in my Cooper's days. There was a guy I worked for named Jerry Wolfe, another guy, John Heitman. Uh, these people fundamentally made me a better person because they taught me lessons about life, about business, a lot of different things. And I can see part of their style in my style today. Ted Waite was younger than I was. I learned from him about marketing and communications. Hopefully he learned some things about accounting and finance from me. So I view it as as if uh, it's a succession of things for life where you run across relationships you build or people you admire,
0: where you become better and stronger because you learn from them. As our time winds down, what advice would you give to our young listeners tonight? Um, What I just said is
1: mentorship, find mentors. Uh, People you can look up and admire. Uh, Take risks. Uh, Believe in innovating. Uh, The world's out there. You can accomplish anything uh, if you plan out accordingly. Think ahead. And again, I would encourage people to think farther ahead. Um, One of the worst decisions people make in life is not making a decision. That is a decision. So take control of your own life. Have a plan. Have an idea where you want to go. It probably won't happen that way, but you're going to move in a positive way with great support from mentors and friends. And go out and enjoy life. Have
0: fun. That's the message I'd give to young people. You always say you're a proud nerd, but that doesn't do you justice. Rick Snyder, you're a phenomenal human being. And the private sector, the public sector, now this current chapter, keep up the great, great work. Thanks, Jack. Great to be with you. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Prasula. Thanks for listening, and make it a great week, because with God, anything is possible. Spawn. Believe in yourself.